Well, thank you once again for joining me. I'm your host, Randy Duncan, and we are going through the book of Genesis. In the last episode, we wrapped up chapter 3, which saw the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden. We discussed their punishments, and now we begin chapter 4, which will see the beginning of their life outside of the garden. And so I am just going to get started and jump right in. We'll probably get through the first 14 verses in this episode. So chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 read, And now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. So it says that Adam knew or lay with his wife, as some translations have it. The Hebrew literally means knew, but not in an impersonal way, like we just know somebody at work maybe, but in the most intimate way. And in this instance, of course, they're talking about in a sexual way. But let's talk about Cain. His name actually means to get or to possess or to acquire, which is exactly what Eve says. She says, I have gotten a man with the help of God. You know, I wonder sometimes if Eve thought that Cain was the promised offspring who would defeat Satan. Remember back in verse or in chapter 3, verse 15, where we have the, the promise of her descendant that would defeat Satan? I wonder if she thought, well, here he is. Here's the, here's the promised descendant of mine. But as you know, Cain is going to turn out to be anything but a savior. But then Eve gives birth to another son, Abel. And it tells us that Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a keeper of the land um, involved in agriculture. And when I mentioned what Cain's name means. Abel's name actually means vapor or breath, such as uh, the breath that comes out of our mouths or out of our nostrils. In other words, it quickly evaporates and then it can't be seen. It's short-lived and it's used metaphorically for something that is uh, kind of insubstantial or fleeting. And how fitting because we'll see that that's exactly what will happen to Abel. He will disappear from the scene much earlier than he should have, and so his name is a foreshadowing of his life. Verses 3, 4, and 5 read, And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So what we see here is that Cain and Abel both bring an offering to God. And God had regard for one offering, but not the other. They both bring an offering. They both worship God. And they both seem to have a desire for God's acceptance. So, what's going on here? Well, for starters, let's make sure we understand what is meant by an offering. Now, that word for offering is the Hebrew word, which is the common Hebrew term for a tribute or the first fruits. And so, there seems to be a, a couple of different interpretations or thoughts regarding this scenario and why God accepted the offering of Abel, but not the offering of Cain. Now, some people believe that they each brought forth the offerings that they did because of their occupation. So Abel, being a shepherd, he brings the fat of the firstborn. And Cain brought forth of a grain offering because he was a farmer, so to speak. But another interpretation rejects this thought process. So those who hold this perspective they argue that Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 11 that Abel was the first prophet. And so if he was a prophet, 
what was it that he was telling us? Well, they say, well, look, he, he was a prophet in the sense of demonstrating what was an acceptable offering. He was a prophet regarding the rituals and the ordinances involved in offerings. In other words, Abel didn't bring his offering of a blood sacrifice just because he was a shepherd. It had to do with the fact that he knew it was only through the shedding of innocent blood that sins would be covered, and that all of the blood sacrifices were pointing to the one who would shed his innocent blood for all mankind. On the other hand, Cain brought an offering not based on a blood sacrifice, but based on the works of his hands. It had to do with Cain's lack of faith in the blood sacrifice and that Cain felt like he could satisfy God through his own efforts. Again, that's one interpretation. But one of the arguments against this interpretation is that fruit and vegetable offerings were appropriate as offerings. And also, Abel's offering describes the fat portions, but there's no reference to blood in the offering. And then one other thing, blood is usually used in the sacrificial system to accomplish atonement for sins. But another interpretation is that Abel brought forth the first or the best for his offering. He brought the fat from the firstborn. But with Cain's offering, there's no mention of it being his best. The text seems to indicate that Cain merely brought some of the fruits. In other words, there's no indication that Cain's offering was the best he had to offer. And so the real reason God doesn't accept Cain's offering is because Cain is simply going through the motions. His heart's not in it. And so he, even though he may appear to be religious, he's not expressing a, a true attitude of being dependent upon or being thankful to God. Because you see, there's, there's really no separation between the offering itself and the person bringing the offering. Because the offering is merely an outward manifestation or an expression of the attitude or the spiritual condition of the person bringing the offering. Hebrews 11.4 says that by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. And Jude verse 11 says that woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. So regardless of the reason... Whichever interpretation you lean towards, the only thing that the text really makes clear is that Cain, in some way, doesn't do what is right. So apparently, the Bible here is more interested in the response to the offering than providing us all of the details. Verses 5, 6, and 7. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell, or his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And the first thing I notice here is that Cain gets angry. But who is he angry at? God? For not accepting his offering? Is he angry at Abel for bringing a more acceptable offering? Or should he have maybe been mad at himself. Adam and Eve were good at not accepting responsibility for their actions, so maybe Cain took after his parents in that regard. But just like God did with Adam, he confronts Cain, and he asks him a question, not because he doesn't know the answer, but to reveal Cain's heart and perhaps giving him an opportunity to confess his failure. And God tells Cain that he can make it right, and if he does, he'll be accepted. God is telling Cain that there is a provision for him, but he also tells him 
that if he does not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Now, there are various interpretations of this phrase, but it seems to be that sin is personified as a, a crouching demon waiting to strike or possibly even an allusion to the serpent waiting to strike the hill, as we saw back in the last episode in chapter 3. But it is an interesting insight that God says, but you must rule over it. I mean, what does that imply? It implies that Cain has a choice in the matter. He has the ability to conquer sin. He has the free will to make a decision. And one thing to keep in mind as we continue here, in modern times, we seem to to have this argument or this discussion sometimes around nature versus nurture. I mean, why do some people make bad decisions? Why do some people turn bad? Well, some people say it comes down to their environment, how they're raised and, and things like that. In other words, it's nature versus nurture. But keep in mind here, Cain and Abel had the same parents. They grew up in the same environment. They grew up in the same house. The playing field was equal here, but we already know the story, that both the boys don't turn out the same. So it didn't come down to nature versus nurture in this instance. It came down to free will and making choices. Verses 8 through 12 read, And Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. So Cain murders Abel. We all know the story. And we're not told of the conversation of, you know, what Cain said to Abel, but the clear implication is that Cain was simply jealous of Abel. And once again, we see God asking questions. Where is Abel, your brother? And whereas Adam and Eve attempted to place part of the blame on someone else, Cain's response here is simply a lie. I don't know. And then he follows his lie up with sort of a, uh, an arrogant, smart-alecky response. You know, am, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, is, is Abel my responsibility? Is it my turn to watch him? Scholar John Walton makes the observation that perhaps we should see the irony in how far one chapter has brought us from wanting to know everything about good and evil to now knowing nothing. So here's a question. Why did Cain feel like he had to lie about what he had done? I mean, there weren't any Ten Commandments at this point. The answer? Because he knew what he had done was wrong, which implies the existence of a conscience. Cain knew what he did was wrong because the moral law was written on his heart, just as it is for all of us. And a moral law implies a moral law giver. So God responds to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And again, just like with Adam and Eve, there's no hiding from God. There's no covering up of sin. And what is Cain's punishment? That he would become a restless wanderer with the ground not yielding to his efforts. If the ground will not yield and provide food for you, then you'll be forced to do what? To wander for food. You know, God spoke to Cain multiple times, three or four times. First, 
to warn Cain about conquering his sin and his evil thoughts, and then later to try and elicit a response and to take responsibility for his actions. But Cain refused. He didn't listen. He rejected God's appeal. Cain took no responsibility for family, and so now he'll be deprived of his family. And before we're too hard on Cain, consider how many times you have maybe rejected God's appeal. How many times have you felt the presence of God, discerned God's calling? You felt God speaking to your heart, and yet you rejected him, not listened to what he was communicating to you. If you're listening to this podcast and you are a Christian, don't ignore God's calling when he's prompting you to do something, when he's leading you in a particular direction. There's a reason he's doing so. On the other hand, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a Christian, I'm simply saying to you, I'm imploring you, in fact, don't ignore God's calling. If you are truly open to hearing from God, seeking God, he'll find a way to get through to you. It may be a conversation with another person. might be an event in your life that is otherwise unexplainable. might even be a podcast you're listening to. The Bible teaches us in 2 Peter 3.9 that God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And Jesus told us, Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Verses 13 and 14. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Interesting response here from Cain. Rather than repentance, his response is one of self-pity. I mean, he fears the physical exposure and the social alienation, but still, no hint of remorse here. No regret, no apology, no asking of forgiveness. But Cain's response here also brings up another interesting question. He says that whoever finds me will kill me. Well, who else is there? I mean, who are these other people out there? I mean, I thought it was just Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. So who else is out there? That is what we'll discuss in the next episode. We'll also address one of the most frequently asked questions in all of the Old Testament, which is, where did Cain get his wife? I'll also use the next episode to sort of touch on the long lifespans that are described in the book of Genesis. But before I close out this episode, I just want to personally thank all of you who have taken the time to listen to any of these early episodes and for the support that you have shown. After only 12 episodes now, There have been downloads of the podcast now on on six different continents and over 25 countries and over 360 cities, which is way more than I would have anticipated at this point. Now, I don't get hung up on the numbers or anything because that's not the most important thing here, obviously, but it does indicate to me that contrary to what you may hear out in the world, what you see on the news and social media, there is still an appetite for God's word. God's word still speaks to people. It impacts people. And the message of Jesus Christ still changes people's lives. And I pray for those of you who who listen to this podcast that God would find just the right way to speak to you, to speak to your heart, to pierce your heart, and, and to reach you through his word as only he can. And that as a result, you would, as, as James 4, 8 tells us, draw near to God so that he'll draw near to you. 
Thanks again for listening. Until next week, God bless.